Hi, welcome to Access On Air, a podcast made for and by young journalists, creators, and activists. My name is Julia Sibley, I'm 17 years old, and I'm a recent graduate of West Campus High School. Today we'll be sharing stories we've been working on, how colleges are trying to retain enrollment, and the struggles that homeless students are facing. We'll also talk about resources for Sac City Unified School District students and the progress in creating vaccines for COVID. Let's introduce the rest of our correspondents. Uh, Hi, my name is Luis. Uh, I am somewhat new to Access Local and I am a filmmaker. I'm Julian. I'm 22 years old. I've been with Access since the dawn of time and (laughs) I'm a soon-to-be school teacher in Japan. Hi, my name is uh, Romeo Morales. I'm a music educator with Sacramento and San Joaquin Unified School District and also fairly new to Access as well. Awesome. This week, I wrote about the work being done by colleges across California and beyond to incentivize their students to not only stay enrolled in college, but also return to campus this fall. Uh, Especially incoming freshmen, schools are using things like more flexible enrollment deadlines and even discounts on various fees to get their students to come back. Uh, Schools are working to compete with the community colleges and various online schools, and those are becoming a lot more popular given that most classes are going to be online anyways. Um, basically these are super unprecedented times and colleges are having to accommodate for things that they've never had to do before. I was wondering if y'all have observed any of this from colleges or do you have any ideas for what the schools could be doing differently? I think from my experience, uh, what's really happening is I can't continue my, uh, AA program for my, uh, audio engineering commercial certificate. And it's all because, obviously, of COVID. And the one class I need to take is just 100% hands-on in the studio, just all times. That's our our classroom. So to kind of not have that outlet and to see other institutions kind of fighting for that uh, participation, I wonder what that's really going to lead into, like any deals, any, you know, just any financial helpings that could really push forward to gain more of an audience. I I also think that um, students are going to be a lot less willing to spend the same amount of money on college as they would normally uh, because they, they don't have access to the same facilities. Um, And that's, I mean, you know, when you're, when you're paying as much as people pay for college, you want to have access to the campus and the gyms and the pools and whatever else they have, whatever other facilities that they have on campus. Uh, and so I know that there's quite a few students who have just straight up said they're going to take a few semesters off until this all blows over and then they're going to go back to school. Um, but then, you know, the the rate of returning to school for people who take semesters off is pretty low. <laughs> uh, but I don't know what uh, what they could do about that, really, other than just lower their prices. Yeah, that really is the crux of the issue, though. I, I definitely know a lot of people that are going back to community college for another year because why would you spend $30,000 to go to school remotely when you're debating whether or not you should even spend $30,000 to go to school in the first place? And that that's usually like, that was like a per quarter kind of cost at uh, my college. So it just kind of highlights how obscene the cost of higher education is and how unsustainable it is. Yeah, 100%. And I like a lot of my friends and I were all incoming freshmen this year and we're all kind of still trying to figure out like what college is going to be. But a lot of folks are going to have to like navigate that from their bedrooms. Like they're going to be 
getting onto their Zoom classes, even though they're technically like UC Berkeley students now. It's a strange like concept to think about because I, I mean, I remember when I graduated high school, all my friends that were going off to big colleges, either in state or out of state, it was like a really, really big deal. You know, like it, they had like going away parties and like all kinds of things uh, because they're literally going to be like leaving home for the first time, you know, to live on their own. And it's like a huge step. But now it's like now the step is getting into the big college, spending all the money. And then you just sit in your bedroom for eight hours a day. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And like, I remember I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going out of state. That's so exciting. And then my going away party was like one of my friends driving by and honking his car horn at me, which like <laughs> I appreciate, but it's definitely not the same as it would be if things were different right now. That's true. Right. It makes it super underwhelming for when it's a, it's a huge milestone in anyone's lifetime to graduate uh, high school and push on to college. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Just yeah. to have everyone in America kind of be like, yeah. Do drive you guys away, think Hong that Kong, after and, this, you know, that I mean, social interaction? Eventually, I think yeah. that prices for college are probably going to go down the longer that uh, coronavirus continues. Um, do you think that we're going to see a decline in the cost of college, like permanently, or do you think it'll just be like a temporary thing, or if it happens at all? I guess. I think yes, but not due to this. Because there, there is actually kind of a scheduled, um, I don't know what the exact word is, but like an economic crisis when the debt bubble crashes, basically. Because of so many people that are in debt and are going to be unable to pay it, that it, it is actually projected to have like a very, very significant effect on the economy. And that that crash will happen like in the coming decade or two. Yeah. So I, I think the costs are going to have to go down eventually, whether it's from COVID or not. Yeah, like a market correction, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, like when we go into that recession, it's no longer going to be accessible for even more folks to get that higher education. And I think it's just going to have to change. <laughs> I find it funny that, like, everyone is just like accepted that we're going to go into a recession because like nobody, like we know that the businesses and colleges that are going to cause it aren't going to change the way that they are. So we're just like, okay, this is happening. <laughs> well, there could be like a debt forgiveness plan that got worked into some um, campaign before, like in maybe in 2024 or something. There's a very, very minor loan forgiveness plan worked into the Biden platform, but I think there would need to be something kind of major at that level because as, as it stands, the colleges aren't going to change it on their own. And it seems like they're being incredibly conservative with working back fees, even during this crisis. Yeah. Y'all want to move on to the next story? Sure. Yeah. I mean, my, my story is almost like sort of closely related to that. But um, more on the housing issues, but housing issues are related to college issues, too, because a lot of college students are struggling with housing right now. Uh, anyway, so I basically my article this week was um, just about the effects that uh, the economic fallout caused by COVID-19 uh, is the effect that that's going to have on the homeless crisis, um, because people are some people are predicting that it's going to actually force uh, the government to do something about the homeless crisis that has been going on for like years now. And some people think that it's just going to make it significantly worse and nothing is going to get done. Um, just to put it in perspective, uh, 
as of 2019 in America, there's over 550,000 um, uh, people who are considered homeless. And in California, uh, in the rest of the United States, the homeless population actually went down, but California increased so much. The homeless population in California increased so much that it actually offset the rest of the United States. And that's how bad it is in California right now. <laughs> um, we increased by uh, 21,306 people. Uh, um, and the rest of the United States, I don't know by how much, but the rest of the United States went down in their populations. Um and then on top of that, uh, because of COVID-19, uh, unless something is done to help people pay back their debts, um, there's likely to be a gigantic wave of evictions um, because nobody has any income right now. And as long as uh, as long as the um, mortgages and rent is held off, uh, people will be fine. But as soon as that is lifted, uh, I forget what the what the law was uh, that was put in place was called, but um uh, as soon as that gets lifted, uh, everyone's nobody's going to have any money to pay these debts, and so they won't have anywhere to go. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, what do you what do you guys think about that? Like, what what do you think can be done to uh, to help fix this? Definitely, like like you were just mentioning at the end there about the the moratorium that's in place, like. At the very least, putting rent payments at the back end of the lease rather than requiring the payment up front. And in the best case scenario, mm -hmm. dismissing rent payments during the moratorium. Because the people that are responsible for paying right now are the people that are also the least likely to be able to pay. So whether you view it like as a humanitarian issue where it's just the right thing to do, it's also like economically infeasible mm -hmm. yeah i was also thinking about it too um it just it makes more sense to like what you said to put put everything on the back end whether it's a loan or a um, or rent or whatever uh to put it on the back end of the lease or of the loan uh because at the end of the day like the multi-billion dollar bank can take the hit a lot better than the average American. So exactly. like, yeah. and, and it's not like the people that are capable of paying it back won't like, it doesn't mean that nobody's going to pay it back if they're able to, you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, the, the banks will, the banks and the landlords will still get their money. It'll just be later than they would have gotten it normally the same way that all pretty much everyone in America is still going to get money from their job, but they're going to get it at a later date, you know? So it just, it just makes more sense to just push it back until people are able to pay rather than say, hey, you have to pay right now and then just deal with the economic fallout of that because nobody has the money. So it just, it just yeah. doesn't make any sense to try and force people who we know don't have money to pay these debts that we know they can't pay rather than giving them the time to pay it. <laughs> it's definitely like asking a, a homeless man for interest every time he can't pay up <laughs> right. and yeah. just kind of get him in a cycle. But yeah. like you said, it, the the major industries, the major corporations can kind of take that falling back, especially like the 500s from before. And it's yeah. it's just weird when you see other locations such as like the UK, how they can they spend less money on their government or less money on their military and other things like that that could circumvent yeah. and help those people. And it's kind of funny that the royal family is still able to collect tax money as their paycheck. 
mm-hmm. on top of every all their um estates that they have in their name and things like that so i, I feel like if there's def we can definitely it's possible it's definitely possible but it just sucks that someone has to like be like we're pointing the finger at you to take this well one. we're gonna point the finger anywhere I, i'll definitely point it at the oh, yeah facts <laughs> facts uh it, it's it's odd too because at the end of the day like i mean it, as long as the middle class is intact in in any economic structure uh it can recover but if the middle class goes away and you only have the upper class and the lower class then it's going to collapse and so for me like to me it makes more sense like even even if it gets to the point that some bigger businesses will have to go bankrupt and go out of business then the people from the middle class will fill that spot like some somebody is going to start the business to take that business's spot but if the middle class disappears then nobody's going to be buying products and then eventually those businesses will go out of business anyways it'll just prolong the process uh, exactly. and then there will be no recovery because then everyone will be in the lower class and nobody's going to have any money so it's, <laughs> exactly. it, it the whole process like it's just like everything is just thought of so backwards to me and it just doesn't make a lot of sense um but anyways uh there are a couple of solutions that are on the table right now to help with the homeless crisis um have you guys heard of project room key uh-uh i'm not yeah. okay so project room key was a uh um it was a project that allowed uh, california to lease about fifteen thousand hotel and motel rooms for at-risk homeless people um, oh, I didn't know the name of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> so the intention was just to get people who are at risk, you know, older people, people who are sick or whatever else, uh, whatever medical conditions that they have. Um, the goal was to get them off of the streets. But, um, I mean, with just, just in 2019, we saw an increase of over 21,000 homeless people added to the homeless people that we already have. 15,000 hotel rooms isn't going to be enough um not to mention that like it's a temporary they're not even solution getting filled. what'd you say they're not even getting filled either the ones oh, that they, they did announce that they were going to fill oh geez i didn't know that um it i think it's pretty crazy to think that 13 percent of america's population homeless population is just in california mm-hmm. like two hundred thousand on top of the extra that are coming in from everything like and if mm-hmm. if what Julian's saying is for real and they're not getting filled up, this is just causing a more economic, um, sorry, I'm losing the word right now, just a very dysfunctional resource mm-hmm. to pull from if not a lot of people are hearing about it and it's not because of the lack of information being spread out. It's just you're not, you're not accumulating to the people who really need it and hitting their different views like if you want to hit a teenager up you go on instagram yeah and put the promotion they're going to see it in 10 seconds right mm-hmm. how do you target the homeless and especially in places like california we see a lot of these like projects that are meant to kind of put a band-aid on the problem without like addressing the root cause of why folks are ending up on the streets yeah. i think it's something we see a lot of and then a lot of these projects don't even really come to fruition they're just kind of debated and a lot of things will get like lost in the process and be downsized by the time that they even are actually like built or put out there for the public to use and i think a lot of this just kind of lends itself to the fact that like things are going to have to change with the housing system in california 
like soon. Yeah, exactly. So I'd like to add an update real quick. As of the beginning of June, less than 10% of the motels had been filled. Jesus. But according to Gavin Newsom, at the beginning of July, there were 15,000 people in. Okay. Which I believe was near the quota. I'm checking that now. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if that number might be false or if there's just been a significant number of people that have been filled in in the one month mm-hmm. gap. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, what but I also... Still, not just Project Room Key, you know? Like, all these things that have kind of been, like, yeah. proposed as housing solutions during COVID, you know? Not all of them are all they've been hyped up to be. Yeah, yeah, the point stands, for sure. What you were talking about, Julia, about how... Um nothing really gets to the crux of the problem. Yeah. That's actually like precisely what's wrong with project room key. Uh, I talked to Katie Valenzuela about it and she said that um, like almost your words exactly was that uh, while this is good that we're getting people off the streets temporarily, if there's no system in place to keep them off the streets and get them into permanent housing, then they're just, you know, they're just going to end up back where they were. And then it was just a huge waste of money and time. So uh aside from i guess you know we're getting homeless people off the streets for at least like a few months at a time but what's the purpose if they're just going to go back on the street you know there has to be a process in place to get them into permanent housing and you can't expect people to do that on their own especially right now in california where the average rent price is like twelve hundred dollars a month (laughs) Mm um and anyways so that being said there is uh, an assembly bill, uh, uh, AB 3269, uh, that seems like it would be an effective solution. Um, but essentially all it is, is it um, it aims to reduce homelessness by 90% uh, by 2028. Um, but all it is really doing is just giving an incentive uh, to the local government to... Um, to do something about it. They have like quotas that they have to meet each month uh, and they get checked up on. Uh, and so like, I, I feel like it's a good idea, but it's only really going to work if it's actually properly enforced. And I, my main concern is that it's not going to be, you know, I feel like, like what you said, where it's talked about and then it never actually comes to fruition. I feel like that's what's going to happen because by 2028, I don't think anybody's going to be talking about it anymore. Um, we'll be on to the next thing that's not going to come to fruition. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But what, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Uh, Do you think, do you think it'll work or, I mean, how much do you know about uh, AB 3269? Um, What do you, what do you guys think? From what I'm hearing, I think uh, Julia put it in the best perspective as it's just like a band-aid on the problem. It's not a permanent solution you can implement with everyone. I I think that this could be more of a longer-term solution, but I think that it's so up to the discretion of local governments that governments that are going to prioritize, especially like low-income folks, are going to handle this issue a lot better with like the state resources and the checkups from the state that'll like incentivize them to do more but the counties and cities that aren't already doing something likely aren't going to be doing as well i i agree we also i mean i worked in the capital for a little while um at a, at the one of the restaurants that they have in there and we're talking about the people that are in charge of this we're talking about people who uh, are not allowed to leave the capitol building during a uh, recess when they're um when they're doing their hearings or whatever because 
they were there were times where they just didn't come back because they didn't want to um and then they couldn't continue with whatever uh processes they were doing because people just didn't show up even though it's their job <laughs> nice uh, <laughs> and they're even though it's their job and they're in elected positions they just they just left um so we'll see what happens that's yeah. good stuff right there um that just shows that human human nature and the will of your own desires could really forefront whatever yeah. whatever like political stance you have on anything. You're just like, I want to go get a burrito. I can't handle this. Yeah. Right now. Well, it it made me laugh when I heard about it because it literally like at, at my old high school, open lunch got banned for the same reason. And I'm just thinking like, you guys are on the same level as high school kids, and you're running our <laughs> government. <laughs> uh, anyways, it's a great explanation. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to move on. If you guys are. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I wrote about Sac City Kids Connect program. It's a uh, you know everyone's alternating into the online form, getting into those classrooms through Zoom, different whatever. Uh, I'm trying to. Re- I can't really remember. There is a platform besides Zoom that people are thinking about talk about using. Just can't get off the top of my head. But um, a new program, Sac City Kids Connect, it's going to provide families that are eligible within the related area internet access for up to six months in partnership with Comcast. So say, uh, you know, you're in low-income families and things kind of are happening, especially now during these hard times. Um, Comcast Internet Essentials Program, they are available now with low-income families who can enter and type in their own, uh, fill in their application online and as well as through this other uh what's it called internet essentials program if you have done it beforehand so this has actually been running since 2011 which is actually pretty cool because they've served over 8 million people now and to have wi-fi and access to that i remember just growing up during like my middle school elementary when wi-fi and like the ps3 all that was coming out it gave me a reason to want the wi-fi but now it's it's a basic medium for most households when you really think about it. Everyone has, everyone's connected. And uh, so applications must be done by the 31st, which is, I think, a really good amount of time. And uh, after this initial six months, you're going to have to pay $9.95, a $10 fee for 25 megabits per second. And this, this goes for families who have also signed beforehand. Um, you get the same deal, which is really good. I feel like this opportunity to connect like i said before is the greatest thing you could ever ask for because again i i know a lot of people that never even had this experience to even understand wi-fi or go online until they hit like 17 18 or they got a phone um do you guys know anyone who could possibly benefit off this like family members or friends Uh, yeah i think this is a super cool program i was a sex at unified student until like a month ago and I think it's really nice also to see them kind of hearing the demands of their students. When school first went online in March, they told students that if they needed equipment for distance learning, like we could go pick it up at school, everyone could go pick up a Chromebook. But that Chromebook wouldn't really help students who didn't have in-home Wi-Fi. Um, so kind of just like giving people supplies when they don't have the means to really use them. And this was near the beginning when we were in like, phase one of reopening and like coffee shops were still closed and like you couldn't go to the library. So a lot of folks were like sitting outside places with Wi-Fi trying to like get their schoolwork done. 
And I think that that just kind of made education really inaccessible to a lot of students in Sac City. And I think that a lot of students and parents made that super clear. And now seeing the district kind of like working with Comcast to put this out there, I think is really good and just kind of a symbol that like the district is trying to do their best in times of online learning. Yeah, I think it's overall a good thing. And also um, the, um, I forget what it's called, but uh, Verizon partnered with the city of Sacramento. I think it was Verizon partnered with the city of Sacramento to do, uh, uh, to bring uh, free public Wi-Fi to a few, I think it was like 12 parks around Sacramento. And I think they're planning on bumping it up to 27 different parks. Uh, yeah. So it's like, it's like a similar program, but um, overall, I think just like providing free Wi-Fi for people right now is like really important because I mean, like, any everything is on the internet now like everything runs on the internet like if you if you apply for a job one of the first things they ask you for is your email so it's like it's a necessity you know um and so i think it's really really important that especially now in a time where people don't have work and unemployment may or may not be continuing at at a effective, oh, that's in an effective way uh, I think it's really important that people have access to the internet so that they have opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise have um, and then on top of that, students, like some of the <laughs> some of the most important people to have Wi-Fi right now, like really need it. So I think, uh, yeah, I just think overall, it's like a, a great thing to do, a great thing to to work on. For sure. I, uh, a close friend of mine I've known since I was two years old. We're not blood related, but I call him my cousin because of how how long I've known him. He has two younger brothers and his youngest brother, he's 12 years old right now and he's gonna gonna start seventh seventh grade and this is kind of a new a new reach for him he's really a lot of a lot of things have happened to him this year and so I've been there with him for at least like almost every day of the week because of a lot of things that have been happening within their lives and I just want to support them but I was talking to him about the same thing because he now they don't have they have internet but they don't have a computer or access to that he has to always use his brother's cell phone and so now that they give him a Chromebook I talk to him, I kind of help him with his with his um homework and it's a funny it's kind of funny because it didn't take me till I hit high school to college to start being able to do work translated from paper onto the laptop and I, to actually have to study and do it myself. So to see him do this from the beginning it just lets me know how resourceful that that they're kind of putting him on from an early age and they and it's working it's really working i i'm yeah i'm pretty sure we could all yeah. agree that this is a really great move for anyone who needs this uh that's all i got for uh, my story okay um there have been some significant vaccine developments in the past week because they did a trial for a vaccine that's being developed by a team at oxford university last week that released some very successful results in which 91% of participants after a single dose of the vaccine produced antibodies for COVID. And after a second supplementary dose, uh, all 100% started producing antibodies. Uh, and this is in the last stage of clinical trials, which is stage three. It is also the longest but it is the last stage before release. And uh, just this Monday, there was another similar uh, 
uh, trial in the U.S. that about 30,000 volunteers participated in, and it was actually the largest COVID-19 study to date uh, for another vaccine candidate that is in the final phase of testing. But the results probably won't come until the end of the year, according to reports that I was reading. And there's also a couple of hurdles that need to be overcome even if a vaccine makes it out of stage three, uh, namely that they need to re uh, receive approval from the Food and Drug Administration Center. And only about 6% of vaccines actually do receive that approval and then enter into the marketplace even after successful trials. Uh, so the, that's the first hurdle that it needs to get approved then afterward it needs to be distributed successfully to the billions of people that could possibly need it. And I mean, in the US it's, it's not billions obviously, but it's still uh, going to be kind of difficult because they've only performed about 53 million tests. And assuming that each person only got one test, which is not the case, that means that they've only given tests to about 16% of the population. So they would need to significantly increase that number to give vaccines to the, say, 80% of the population being generous that are intending to take it, assuming that everyone was able to get it. Um, and that 80% figure is significant because about 25% of the population is estimated to outright decline the vaccine. And there could be a greater number of people that are unsure about it and may decline or uh, may not have access to the vaccine. So there's a lot of different hurdles that are happening. Um, the number of people that refuse the vaccine outright is significant because the vaccine itself has to be more effective to compensate for so many members of the population that the virus exists in. Um, still, uh, possibly carrying it. But on the bright side, these are positive developments. And uh, just in the last week, these are some of the most positive developments that have happened with respect to the virus since it um, outbroke here uh, in March. Um, do you think that uh, is, is that 25% that would reject the vaccine? Is that only in America? Or is that uh, uh, around the world? That is only in America, as a matter of fact, but okay. the yeah, the range actually can get up to like 30%, 35%. 25% is kind of like a conservative, everybody that outright declines it figure. Um, and in terms of the number of people that are going to get the vaccine, like the distribution issues probably mean that even with the people that outright decline it, there's also going to be people that won't have access to it for whatever reason. Right. Um, I, I was going to ask, uh, do you think that uh, because that number is from America, do you think that if someone like Trump were to uh, openly uh, come out in support of the vaccine, do you think that number would go down or do you think it wouldn't matter? Well, I think if he out openly came out in support of the vaccine, it would sway some people in that 25% over. It's hard for me to estimate um, like what numbers within that would be. I mean, I think that would sway some people over for sure. I think the greater number is held within like the generation under us and us because we're kind of like the next up. 
and there's a lot more of us than there are people from the boomers age and like beforehand to where the knowledge like I, I kind of I just want to repeat myself but the knowledge of people seeing that such as you throwing it on social media whatever it may be to get the youth's attention it's going to draw them to understand a lot more and be like well maybe maybe the ideals of the people before me whether it be your parents or guardian may not be what you feel and so you take that step as an 18 year old 21 year old to be like, I'm going to go get this shot whether you don't want me to or not. Or the the reverse side and you don't want to. I just feel it's that's where the greater numbers lie in. <clears throat> and speaking of if Donald Trump can sway the numbers, I feel like that would outweigh anything that his opposing side of yes or no would even do. I hope there's a lot of people that um, even like liberal circles, some of them circulate anti-vaccine, um, what I would call misinformation so i hope so i hope you're right i'm just uh i was wondering because i know that um anti-vax isn't necessarily a right-wing ideal it's kind of just a thing that gets thrown around a lot um and uh but i know that if if trump were to come out against the vaccine then obviously that number would drastically increase so i, I was just curious if uh if you guys think that it would go down if he was in support of it. Um, but I know there are, I mean, there's probably a decent amount of people that would rally against it even more if he came out in support of it. Yeah. As <laughs> that's, well. that's true. So. <laughs> I can't predict the actions of this country anymore. Oh, <laughs> well, I think that's all the time we have for today's podcast. Uh, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Access Local and visit accesslocal.tv to read more of our content. Thanks. Have a great day.